Welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Rich. I'm Kat. You can't pick up a telephone and call somebody, right? Well, I would have called Marcus, but they didn't have a phone on the plane. I've wasted $200 on tickets. Just waste it and it's all your fault, okay? Why don't I just give you the money for it? It's nothing to do with the money, okay? You're being inconsiderate. You didn't call me. You didn't do any. I was calling all over New York for you. You could have been laying on the side of a road somewhere. It's very sweet. That's very, very sweet. In this episode, we're talking about Reginald Hudlin's 1992 movie Boomerang, with a story by Eddie Murphy and a screenplay by Saturday Night Live writers Barry W. Blaustein and David Sheffield. This was Megastar Murphy's first time taking the lead in an adult romantic comedy and became the 18th most successful film at the US box office that year. Sitting down to some asparagus with us at Lady Eloise's impossibly long table tonight are Jacqueline, played by Robin Givens, Angela, played by Halle Berry, and of course Marcus, portrayed by Eddie Murphy. Do these relationships feel like the perfect pedicure we've been waiting all our lives for, or do they signal the end of the road? So as a romantic comedy, I think this one is quite interesting because we have Marcus played by Eddie Murphy at the centre of the film, who's this womanizer who really enjoys the conquest. He kind of lives for it. And then we have someone else, Jacqueline, played by Robin Gibbons, who enjoys the conquest just as much as he does. And that in itself, in a romantic comedy, I think is quite unique, don't you? Yeah, I guess this was kind of the interesting thing that they're going for in that there was a lot of press and, and, and a lot of the reviews at the time were focusing on the fact that this was a mainly black cast and crew but what it also did was flip the kind of cliche of the genre on its head where Eddie Murphy is so to use that kind of male thing lucky and successful with women and to suddenly have that flipped on its head where it is quite obvious that in parts of it he's playing what would normally be the the female role, um, where Jacqueline is his boss and and she displays some overt power over him. And it's part of the fun was seeing that because I think at the time, you know, Eddie Murphy's career was still, you know, he was still this huge star. Yeah. But I think he kind of had... And I read some bits that maybe a lot of this was poking fun at, almost at himself, where he could have anything he wanted, women, money, whatever. And the fact that then the, the situation was flipped. And I did find it well played that I know that there were some concerns around the casting of Robin Givens, because she was married to Mike Tyson at the time, wasn't it? Yes. And that she had a certain perception that she was quite a sort of no-nonsense woman who was willing to use her influence in situations. And, it was, I mean, it was clever mm. the way they did it. And she she portrayed it really well. But um, having – we've done these before and, and from other films, do, do you think that the, the simple idea of the, the flip paid off? Something that makes me respect Eddie Murphy, actually, is – especially, you know, I quite recently watched his 80s stand-up specials and, you know, he has such stage charisma and such star power and his delivery is so incredibly alpha. And 
there's something about the fact that he was encouraging of having someone like Robin Gibbons play opposite him in this film that I think is really great because actually I think that she really successfully matches him for kind of self-assurance. The the camera really loves her and it's not just about her being beautiful. She has this confidence about her that really, you know, I think actually it, it would take a it would take a confident man to be at that point in his career and kind of think, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be opposite this person. We're gonna have chemistry where she always has the upper hand. And I'm, you know, in the in the in the narrative, she's she's gonna play with me a little bit and I'm gonna end up heartbroken. And, you know, it'll be it'll she'll she'll kind of I mean the the course of the storyline is quite dramatic in that way in the sense that it does make him completely lose his thread at work he completely messes up the advertising campaign and I think that's something that's quite interesting about the film as well is that you you realize that you don't often see that happen to a man in a film like I was thinking about how it's there are elements of it as a movie that's a little bit similar to Working Girl. But in Working Girl, you have Harrison Ford and um, he, the, the women in it are, are sort of play, played off each other and it's the, one of the women in the end who has to, to lose her job as a result of something that she's tried to take credit for that wasn't really hers. And in this film, you know, it's Marcus who goes off the rails and both Angela and Jacqueline you know, they both go on to thrive in their careers. And yeah, that's that's something you don't often see, I think, really. It's the man, it's the man being too emotional that's got him into trouble. It's 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 really well done and, and having sat down and watched this, and I'll, I'll put it on record, I think, for the first time. Now if I have seen it before, it was a long time ago and it obviously didn't register, but yeah. sitting down and watching it and, and you know, he's introduced as this very suave guy and there's the whole the thread where he chats up the lady with the dog. Yes. And, you know, it's just so easy for him. You know, it's all everything's on the fly and it all works perfectly well. And obviously he has this thing about feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where he sees her feet and they're these giant lumpy things and and suddenly goes off her, although he he was quite open about it at the beginning where he's talking to his friends. It is, you know, this isn't one of those films that passes the Bechdel test, as it were. Although, you know, it's also, again, that's almost flipped because when he's talking with his friends, mm. they're always talking about, or almost always talking about women. Yeah, his, his conversation with his friends in that scene is quite similar to the one that Meg Ryan has with her friends in that central Central Park Cafe at the beginning of Harry Met Sally, isn't it? They're almost jealous of his lifestyle, mm. Gerard and Tyler. And it's interesting that works, but they play on that because by the time when he meets Jacqueline in the lift lobby and, you know, it is, uh, we've joked about it before, but like a meet cute. Yeah. Although she knows who he is, or at least has an idea of, she knows who he is by reputation anyway. Uh, and to him, she's just a a junior colleague, someone that he can sort of take advantage of and, yeah. and carry on. And there is an element where you see kind of his face and his brain slowly process the changes that are coming and the fact that he's being virtually usurped. 
and it's just really well done and and i mean the, the whole essence of it it's easy to flip a comedy gender wise or a lot of films gender wise but to do it in a way that's almost believable yes that there are elements where they have to be in positions of power in their employment to kind of make it to use that as well it's not just their two people because if they were just like a guy and a girl on the street mm. it might not have that same sort of resonance but i think the fact that there is also the professional element to it as well yes just gives it that little bit more flavor yes and there's there's i really like that scene where they meet and talk in the lift there's something about about that whole interaction that's fantastic and I think there's a line where he says something like you know what I'm going to tell you a secret because you're a very pretty girl I'm going to be in charge of marketing and there's something about the condescending way that he talks to her you know and and then as you say he slowly realizes what's happening that yeah it, it is very effective they get that's the thing they get the language down really well I think um there's something about the detail of the dialogue in this film I heard that it was a little bit influenced by Annie Hall, this film. And that when I read that, it didn't surprise me at all, actually, because there's something about the natural dialogue between the characters, in the or at least between Marcus and uh, Jacqueline and also between him and Angela, that is, is very like something out of a Woody Allen film because it's got that... It's got that attention to detail. People kind of talk to each other the way people talk in real life. It's not just a string of clichés. Yeah, I think it's easily done where you grandstand a lot of the, the interactions between the two. Yeah. And when you remove that, you're not often left with a lot else. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, I mean, I guess here that's probably more reserved for, for Marcus and Angela rather than Marcus and Jacqueline. Yeah. Although they have a lovely exchange about the getting the her blowing in his eye, which I think is really oh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> really, but then that's really like part of the seduction. Yeah. Isn't it? And then he says, no, you're not, that's not a normal way of blowing in someone's eye. And, you know, your mother used to blow into your eye and it didn't feel like that. And she says, I saved your eye. And I think that's all a very funny, natural exchange as well. It kind of feels a little bit improvised. Maybe I don't know whether or not it was. When you introduce Angela into it as well, um, it's difficult to kind of put into context now because when you look back well, 30 odd years and you see Halle Berry. Yeah in a role and you know what she's gone on to do subsequently and yet here she's not the third wheel I guess to, to, to some extent she is but she becomes more of a an involvement as the film goes on but but yeah she, she's kind of there to kind of extract a little bit of a little bit of the the thought process certainly from from Jacqueline yeah I was say exposition but it's you know, it, she's there to kind of help the story along in the early parts as well. Yes. It's difficult to get right, especially if this is a kind of three-way romantic comedy, but she, she actually serves a purpose to, to get that story right. But um, I found the chemistry between Marcus and, and Angela seemed a lot more normal and down-to-earth when you see them together. It's almost like, or at least once they kind of start spending alone time together mm. whereas Marcus and Jacqueline is these kind of say people at their peak you know facing off against each other there is a little bit more of a kind of I'd say a sort of cockfighting kind of thing but they're kind of yeah. there's a bit of showboating and everything around that 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 seems a little bit less accessible to 
average Joe. Yes, it remi- it reminds me actually a little bit of Glenn Close and John Malkovich's characters in Dangerous Liaisons. It's it's as you say, this idea of the two of them wanting power over the other. But quite but the thing is that's quite good about that though is I think it, it recognizes something about who people fancy sometimes and how um the the kind of the chase can be driven a little bit by by kind of you know who's 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 getting the upper hand who's playing hard to get that kind of thing whereas that's what's interesting about when he meets Angela and as you say that there's something about the chemistry between them that kind of grows more organically it doesn't it doesn't feel quite so competitive uh that when they're at that point and they're on the sofa and they're watching Star Trek, you that you think, you know, this is this is the thing. He hasn't been thinking of her as a potential conquest, and maybe that's actually what's made him relax with her and be able to kind of form a more emotionally mature relationship than he would do normally, is because actually he hasn't been thinking of her in that way. And maybe that's the trick is that you need to sometimes take out some of the relentless sort of competitiveness out of um your dealings with the person that you're attracted to in order to be able to kind of get something really good going with them. I don't know what you think. I mean, that that's almost where the film becomes a bit tropish, but not deliberately where it is. It's like you don't see what's right under your nose. Yeah. Um, and I, I think this film kind of skirts around that enough to avoid that but the the kind of spectre of it's still there a little bit in the fact that Angela dates Gerard although it is amusing I guess they have this kind of scene where they have these kind of two concurrent dates where Marcus dates Jacqueline well to her it's not a date she comes around watches the basketball and, <laughs> and you know to deliberately very deliberately put him off yeah or put him off his stride you know he's turned it up to 11 and and she's really not playing ball whereas mm. Angela and Gerard's date is like bad jokes and he kind of shows a lot of indecision around like ordering what what food for example yeah. and there's there's such little chemistry there yeah that it's amusing to kind of offset it against what else is going on but um I mean from some of the other episodes where we we've talked about things like who has the power and who has the cards it is quite funny how you know the way they put Marcus at the disadvantage and they do hammer it home a little bit much at times but in an amusing way there's the the scene where he suddenly kind of realizes when he slept with Jacqueline and she sneaks off in in the night yeah he kind of realizes what's going on when she sneaks off and then leaves the cash on the bedside table. Yeah. Because let's be honest, no guy would ever do that to a woman for comedy. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. It's yeah. for what that implies, but it, it's, it's funny and, and you can do that in a way that isn't particularly awful. <laughs> yeah. And also she's, I, she's also making the point there that she's giving him the money for the ticket. So she's making the point that she's, she doesn't need his, cash on any level yeah she's got cash yeah and it's kind of that double point really that 
you know, she's making a point, but he also sees it as kind of for services rendered. Totally, totally. No, she doesn't say that line, doesn't she? Like, oh, I was, you know, I was so tense. You've really helped me relax. It does feel yeah. very transactional. <laughs> um, and, and, it, and it works so well in, in that way that, you know, it is pushed that she has the power at work. Mm-hmm. She has the power in the bedroom because she puts him off his game so much. Yeah. I call it game because that's kind of how it is or how it's portrayed. Stop. You know I didn't come up here to talk to you about no Jay. I came up here to talk to you about us. I'm rapping. This is my Mac Daddy vibe I'm giving you in all of its splendor. What's up? This oh, is really? The, yes. I'm the Alleganza Mac Daddy of the month. Oh, I see. Well, let me, let me get a good look. Check it. It's like Jet Magazine. What's up? You are absolutely wonderful. It isn't subtle to that point, but I think it's still funny enough that it works because the performances allow it. And yeah. Eddie Murphy doing that is still Eddie Murphy. You know, it's yeah, exactly. This is, you know, he's he's still what a couple of years off after coming to America. You know, mm. and people already talk about he'd been in decline at this point, and you kind of think he's still doing this which is still good yes well as i say i think that his appearance in in this film and kind of letting you know letting her have that yeah being being part of this film i think is a is a great a great thing that he did and, and i'm sorry that it wasn't better received in that in that respect because i have to confess that when i i saw this film when i was a teenager and i thought that jacqueline was kind of like james bond <laughs> <laughs> it's not and it's not even that it's not exactly that it, you know that you kind of want to emulate all the values of that character or anything like that it's not that it's just it's so rare that you see in a romantic comedy a woman who you know she's incredibly comfortable with her sexuality she's very confident and she you know she's not defined by wanting to settle down with the man I mean those are quite simple things but and they shouldn't be rare in romantic comedies but they are I think you know and at no point in this film do they have her kind of going off and marrying a millionaire or something which I think is really good you know like in um in Wednesday and a Funeral you have Andy McDowell's character who 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 seems sexually confident and and extremely cool and collected but in the middle of the film you see her going and marrying someone extremely rich who she doesn't seem to like very much, you know. That's the thing in so many other films where you have people that are maybe a little bit like uh, Jacqueline is in this film. They're too much defined by those other aspects of their personal life, whereas in, in this, it's never implied that she likes another man more than she likes Marcus. It's just that she's not massively interested in tying him down, you know. And that is, it's just, you don't see that very much. Yeah, and, and it works as well that she's enjoying what she's doing. Yeah. And and she is kind of making a point of it. I think there is an element, and it's not really explored, where he, it's almost like she's just doing it to give him a taste of his own medicine. Definitely. This is his reputation and, and, and everything else. But it's there, and it comes across so well. And she's not fleshed out as much, because, to be honest, she doesn't need to be. Yes. You know, it's a comedy, and, yeah. and, and there is a purpose in it. But... Um, I, I, I did enjoy the kind of particular the scenes where they, you know, one was had something over the other, and it was to be fair with them too. It's normally her, but yeah. I think they were just so well done and so well 
performed and it was written so spot on because it could have become ridiculous yeah they managed to do something really hard which is make a comedy that's also sexy i mean it's just extremely hard to do that i think <laughs> and it makes it and it does make it feel like in some respect i mean i know that it's fil- filled with really crude jokes and you have these very big performances by you know john witherspoon and grace jones and all of that so it's not it's not as if it's a, a subtle film or anything <laughs> exactly, as a whole but there is something about the fact that they can't, they do address sexuality in this film in a way that's actually quite adult, which I like. It doesn't feel like you're being talked down to, you know, even that that conversation between the guys at the beginning of the film where Eddie Murphy sort of says, you know, really honestly that he just loses interest after he's gone to bed with a woman. And you think, you know, that phenomenon is probably quite common and some men might feel it kind of more than others and you know and his friend doesn't feel it so they you know it's not they're not in any way trying to say that all men are like that or anything but it's something that you know the film feels okay with exploring rather than sort of telling you sort of patting your head and telling you that that romance is always about sort of something that's very cuddly and fuzzy and I think sometimes romantic comedies do that to you a bit they patronise you as an audience a little bit more than this one does while it doesn't necessarily sit with what we normally look at i think the relationships between the other characters they work on a level that perhaps doesn't necessarily in some of the other films where they focus on often a couple but you know where there might be a third or fourth person involved and they're just as as relevant i mean strange in the restaurant with marcus <laughs> absolutely absurd yeah completely but it's Grace Jones being Grace Jones. And if you can get someone to do that, I mean, I know, I think I read that the part was written for her in, with her in mind. Yes. And I don't think anyone else could have done it. <laughs> 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 um, but, you know, her ridiculousness is kind of part of the power trip and, and the whole, the issue around what he wants, what Jacqueline wants and... And also where that where she fits somewhere into that professional relationship as well. So, yeah, you know, she's more than just a MacGuffin. She serves a purpose in that relationship by using her own relationship as well. It's um, as a kind of smallish, it's not quite a cameo, but it's just absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah, completely. And, um, I mean, her, her presence in it, as well as uh, the kids. Do you think there's uh, there's anything in that feeling of, I mean, in recent years, we've there's been a lot of discussion over the idea of locker room talk. And there's something, isn't there, about the fact that Jacqueline has been talking to the other women in the office and also been talking to Stranger about Marcus's techniques. And it's, it's an interesting film in that way as well, isn't it? Because it explores actually that idea that women talk to each other sometimes as well about about sex. It's not just men that do that. And how that can make a man feel quite vulnerable too. Well, definitely, because I, I guess things were b- becoming a bit more progressive in, in the early 90s where 
they were trying to show that things weren't the norm anymore and that sex was something that could be openly discussed. And, you know, when the the guys talk about women, it's not really about the sex yeah. so much. I mean, that comes into it. And, it. and there are things about, you know, when he talks about the women's feet and, and kind of their, their particular hang-ups, but it's not around the actual, the physical stuff. You know, he doesn't really talk about it other than it's not happening. Yeah. You know, there's kind of that thing. So when it emerges that Jacqueline has been talking about it and, and you know, there is, again, like she's talking about it because, you know, in the way that you'd associate with a locker room kind of chat, it's about something that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, because you probably wouldn't talk like that about someone you were genuinely serious about. Um, yeah. You know, they are an object and that's how they're being talked about. And, and literally, you know, she, she talks about his ass. Ass. Yes, she does. Um, and that first time that they meet as well, they have a lovely little shot of her kind of walking around the back of him as she's speaking to him, where you see her checking his body out, you know. And that so there's a lot of that objectification, isn't there? And it's it's done in a way that yes, it's larger than life, but it isn't too cartoonish. You know, it's it's done in a way that all you know, to, to be simplistic, you just need to put them in the, the other position and all of a sudden it becomes normal. Yes. Which which makes it wrong. But the way it was written, and I won't talk about the ending yet, but it's um it's well and, and you know, when we talk about how this would be perceived if it was made now. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean we, we talked about how it almost felt like it came too early. And maybe that's why it was successful, but I don't think it perhaps crossed into the mainstream as much as some of its peers. And I feel like this is the kind of thing that would have been massive if Judd Apatow had done it or, you know, in that yeah. kind of yeah. sort of 2005-ish era, had it been, I don't know, off the top of my head, <laughs> Adam Sandler and something no, like that. Really, but... Although the one, the one thing about it that I, I don't know... Um, how it would have gone down in terms of its the, the reception is that I think that we are maybe a little bit, there's something about the virility of Marcus in, in this film. He's very, you know, he, he's very suave and he, you know, he knows how to, he knows how to play the game with women. And it got me, got me thinking about how very often in the most successful romantic comedies, you quite often have maybe slightly sort of bumbling men who are your leads. So like mm. we've done Notting Hill, so um, Hugh Grant and Notting Hill. And if you want Hugh Grant in kind of um, a role that's more like Marcus's, you have to look to Bridget Jones's diary and he's not he's not the lead there. You know, he has to be kind of the, the villain. And then, you know, people like Tom Hanks and in Judd Apatow's films, like, as you say, quite often you have quite sham- shambly heroes, don't you? And I was thinking maybe maybe that's something that there's something in this film where we like to feel more reassured that the man that we're dealing with, you know, is is someone that we can end up sort of seeing in a kind of domestic setting, maybe with slippers on, you know, or something, you know, maybe fixing something in the garage. And maybe there's something about Marcus where you can't picture that, you know. Because, I mean, again, when you think of comedies in the 2000s, they're going to be someone like... I mean, I said Adam Zarno, Steve Carell, Seth yeah. Rogen, that kind of thing. And, yeah. you know, they're, 
it, it's perhaps by then the idea of a massive idea of men just being these all-conquering sex gods is somewhat out of fashion a little bit. Yeah. Unless it was James Bond. But it's um, it was James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> he, he'd have done all right. But yeah, that was kind of my thought. And I, I thought that, you know, to say it's ahead of its time is perhaps damning it with, with faint praise. But I think it would have perhaps worked as just as well and i mean while you know especially when you look at 2021 as maybe 10 years ago with the whole we've talked before about me too and and how things are allowed and not allowed in the workplace yeah you know that there is an element of of that abuse and exploitation in there that yeah it's played for laughs here whereas these days you'd have to be a lot more shrewd around how it's done. Completely. Completely. It's uh, it's it's quite it's quite difficult in this one to sort of see. I mean that in in that sense though it's 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 another aspect of how it's written well because it's hard in some of the scenarios depicted in this film to sort of figure out who's me tooing who if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz you think does Eddie Murphy intend to sleep with that lady Eloise does she you know does she think that she's leading him to to think that he's going to get a promotion if he does sleep with her and you're trying to kind of figure out who who's kind of yeah I don't know it's interesting isn't it I mean that the whole scene with lady Eloise it was so weird (laughs) and yet you kind of see it coming whereas and especially when you associate Eartha Kitt with Catwoman, yeah, you know, like early Catwoman, yeah. um, and you kind of feel like how amusing it is is that she's she's almost like hamming this up so much, and then obviously her valet or, or butler, or whatever, sniggering, yes, just absolutely brilliant. But it's um, yeah, and then you have Jacqueline sort of laughing at him the next day, thinking, oh, I'll <laughs> you'd be <laughs> you'd all that for nothing. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> The, so many aspects of it worked perfectly well then and I think you know again now if if they were tweaked and, and maybe some things were dealt with in a slightly more sensitive way but not losing track of the comedy I think you wouldn't need to change too much about this to make it still funny and relevant now and, and I, 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 I'm under the impression that like High Fidelity there's now a TV show I was I was going to ask ask you whether do you think this film sort of tr- tries to ex- explore the idea of monogamy not actually being necessarily hugely easy for for men and men and women maybe partic- particularly men in some scenarios men like Marcus anyway and in a way that maybe in other rom-coms you're sort of led to believe that monogamy will be really easy just when you find the right person whereas in this one he does find the right person he finds Angela but he still finds monogamy quite difficult because he really fancies a pants off someone else and do you think it's quite good to sort of see that in a film? I think so because and, and this is perhaps my problem with the ending of it is that it then boils down to that where he suddenly decides he needs her and has to, you know, find her and track her down and, and everything and, and basically lay himself out because she has, in the time where he said he cheated on her with Jacqueline, 
um, and she left him, she went on to become virtually like Jacqueline. Yeah. Um, you know, she's become from quite, you know, someone who gives time to to charity to to someone who's very soft and open. You know, it's, it's done. It's a that's the only problem is it's kind of done too hard. Where yeah, she becomes this kind of no nonsense senior executive. Yeah. And and he's vulnerable, laying himself at her door, and and I guess that's the problem is that by the time he comes round to her, she's now in a position where she's essentially almost like an equal. Yeah. And I don't know. I I just didn't buy it really that 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 would well one it would work, but two that really that's where he should have gone. It's almost like he could have learned his lesson. Yes. And maybe taking it on, and, and again, that's where maybe a TV show or a sequel would have would have done. But they, they've explored it enough that maybe he could still look or want the right woman, but yeah. could probably quite happily carry on living the life he was leading anyway. Yeah, completely, because they have that last little scene. I mean, the one thing that I think is quite good is the very last scene where you see them walking off down the road. I like the fact that it's left reasonably open, like in quite a lot of other romantic comedies, you might see them in in the future having a baby or getting married. Whereas in this one, you're at least allowed to make your own predictions as to how long they're going to last. <laughs> and there's something about the fact that they're walking down the road and she says, if you look at that woman, you know, <laughs> that woman, and you think... That's the thing. They do give you a little hint in in that last little bit of dialogue where you where you know you're almost being encouraged to come and think maybe these two aren't going to last very long. Mm. <laughs> and and you know and it, you know maybe he's just not the kind of guy that's going to be able to to settle down at this point in his life anyway. You know, and that that's okay. As you say, it's okay. It's like you know people can people can change but they usually do it quite gradually don't they it's sort of over over the course of more time they have to sort of jump through their own hoops a little bit more than that um would you have if you were him or or, no not if you were him if (laughs) let's say the average man in that scene one of the scenes i find maybe a little bit jarring where i think i don't know if that would happen <laughs> is the bit where he's about to have sex with Jacqueline later on in the film and he kind of goes hang on I shouldn't be here because I'm in love with someone else and he gets out of the bed and when I watch that scene I kind of think I think maybe um, most people in that scenario you know someone like Marcus anyway and when he likes her, I mean, he probably he probably would sleep with her, but maybe he'd have another thought about it the next day. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I guess this is the thing where, I mean, we we've made reference to friends in in other episodes where the episode where Monica slept with a guy and he she said he stopped to write a poem, and <laughs> uh, and Joey basically implied. I can't remember exactly what he said, but like, yeah. you know, like a hurricane couldn't stop me. Exactly. Um, yeah. um, last night we were fooling around and all of a sudden he stops to write a poem. Get out. I couldn't stop if a meteor hit me. I think you're expected to kind of sympathize and, and see Marcus's point is that, but you kind of really you think it's very unlikely it would come at that point, at that exact moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the likelihood is, is that yeah, like like you say, you know, he'd think about it again 
afterwards, <laughs> you know, the, the morning after or something. Yeah. But um, that that was, yeah, un- unlikely. I mean, it, it, it kind of, I suppose it, it needed that moment where he put her in her place. Yes. And from that point of view, absolutely fine. But, yeah, if we're talking realism, no, that would never happen. No, and, and there's an element of, of I, I, considering how many women Marcus has done what Jacqueline's doing to him, there is a moment in the film where I can, I think, I think you're expected, and, and, and you know, it's like when Angela go, goes and has a word with Jacqueline about how she's putting him off his work and stuff, you know. And you think, Marcus has done this to so many women. And I feel like we're being encouraged to kind of think, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's our protagonist and we do feel sympathy for him. And it's not necessarily that you think that the way Jacqueline is behaving all the time is commendable or anything like that. But he's he's caused a lot of hurt in his life. I'm sure he has. So so maybe he doesn't need to put her in her place. He don't, no, he doesn't need to, but, um, well, for, for the film. Yeah, no, but, no um, I do think yeah. uh, Angela's speech to him when he comes back in and, and she storms out is a really it's a really good scene and and there's something about about her at that moment I think is is really good because she stands up for herself really effectively mm. she shows that she's not just a a character that's sort of there to be you know to to kind of just be someone's foil or to or to just be this sort of soft presence that she actually has just as much kind of pride in herself as everyone else in the film. And I think that's really important, actually. Yeah, very much. Um, were there any other relationships in the film that you thought were particularly uh, outstanding or, or worthy of mention? I think Marcus's relationship with his friend um, Gerard is quite important, don't you? Hmm. The whole way that... Um, there's a, that they've been friends for a really long time, but there's a real contrast in the way that they see relationships with women. And then you get the whole scene with Gerard's parents and you kind of understand why he's this very, very timid, nervous individual is because he's sort of always had these, these parents that are so out there <laughs> and kind of had to be dealing with it. And then, and then having, having Marcus going and, going and sleeping with Angela without sort of checking with him first and things. And there's something, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one thing about the film that is, as you say, I think does, does age really well is that I think that it gives a really balanced view of, of male friendship that's actually really sensitively done. It doesn't lump men together as kind of one, as one lot who all think about women and think about life in the same way. You know, did you have any relationships that you thought stood out? Yeah, I, I enjoyed the relationship between Marcus and his neighbour. Yeah. Um, and while it's there purely for comedy, I, I think the fact that, you know, in a lot of films, the neighbour is almost like they're either a rival or they're someone that you confide in, especially in, in comedies, you know, where, where they're there to, to move things along because you know, you have a rivalry with them about anything, you know, they've got a better car, better house, whatever. Yeah. Whereas this, they've obviously had one, a one night stand or, you know, they've had one liaison in the past, which he strongly regrets. And he mentions there's a court order <laughs> and her, her efforts to kind of warn women off. Yeah. They, they, they're almost you know, quite slapstick, but there is the point towards the end after, you know, when he's feeling down when Angela's left him, 
and she becomes that there's the moment where she she then goes you know becomes somewhat comforting not a huge amount but you know she, she becomes a little bit more understanding yeah. and then he rejects her again and she suddenly kicks off <laughs> yeah. and and the point is she's got curlers in her hair and is flapping around quite a lot and I mean she's there for comic relief but yeah. having that there it, I think as a neighbour who gives something different and, and it's a very different relationship that was something that really stood out I mean it because it made me laugh yes. but um yes. not 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 something that probably I guess that's the problem isn't it you you don't how can I put this politely dip your pen in the company ink you can't choose your neighbours can you so, no, no, ex- exactly no. So there's something very interesting about her having been there the whole time watching all of his little manoeuvres. Yeah, and it's a dangerous game to play, you know, when, yeah. when you keep things that close to home. <laughs> it's, exactly. um... the, re- the relationship between Angela and Jacqueline, actually, I think I think is quite interesting, that, that exchange that they have where, she, uh, um, where Angela asks Jacqueline to go easy on Marcus and they sort of do this thing where she where she sort of punches her on the arm in this kind of nervous way. I thought that that whole interaction was quite was quite good at kind of showing how the two that there's a that it's a, it's a little bit kind of passive aggressive between the two of them in a way that's quite interesting. That's not that you know isn't sort of too on the nose. It's not too exaggerated, but kind of like the way that there's a little bit of tension between the male friends. Yeah, other parts of the film, I thought actually they do they do quite a good job actually of kind of exploring the idea of kind of you know, you know the, these two women are obviously very you know they're very different and but they're working together and they're both very professional and they're not going to jeopardise that at all, but they're they're kind of provoking each other in a very kind of quiet way in a way that's quite interesting to watch. I think they they did almost everything very well in the film, and uh, I'd like to think that perhaps uh, maybe in the affections of some that maybe Boomerang will make a comeback. I hope so. I think it should. Well, as we edit out the inappropriate use of fruit from our podcast marketing and remove our discarded pants from the meeting room table, we leave you with the question, what do you know about love? I've been Kat. And I've been Rich. And this has been Don't You Want Me.